0: Psalm 98, O oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm, with trumpets and with the sound of a horn, Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. Let's pray together our Lord you may be seated well the Lord is prompting me this uh, will play into our passage mark chapter 3 verses 13 to 35 but the Lord is prompting me you know as we read the gospel accounts as we as we read of the mighty works of our Lord Jesus Christ as we as we witness through the from the page of scripture his declarations about the truth about him and we hear we see the testimonies that accompanied his declarations the lepers being cleansed the demons being cast out people being healed in massive number I would dare say thousands because people are coming to him in Galilee Capernaum is the center of his ministry but galilee they're coming from everywhere Edomia, which is south of Judea. Judea, Jerusalem, Galilee, all of those areas, Syria, Tyre and Sidon. As I noted last week, folks, that's Jezebel's home area. It's, they're coming to Jesus in massive numbers. They're hearing the truth. They're witnessing God's mighty power. His works. God is doing the same things today. He's doing the same things today. People witnessing, let me share with you, and I've shared this two or three times already, and when he was with us about three years ago, Sitan Lee from Cambodia. Sitan Lee has a six day a week broadcast in Cambodia. Four hours a day, Monday through Saturday. It is the most watched Zoom broadcast and listened to radio broadcast in Cambodia. One of the testimonies that he gave when he was here was that the format for his program is he reads one chapter from the New Testament and then spends the rest of the time just taking calls from people who are interacting. Well, one of those days, the passage from the scripture that he read was the account of the raising from the dead of the widow of Nain's son. Jesus and his apostles are coming into this town of Nain, N-A-I-N, and there's a group of people going out to the graveyard. They're carrying this carcass, and walking beside the carcass is the mother of this young man, who has died. And Jesus sees her sorrow. He knows her need. He's omniscient God. He knows her need of his presence. And right there in front of the town, he raises that young man from the dead. What a powerful testimony. Well, Seton Lee, got, he read that passage on the radio and television broadcast, Zoom broadcast. Later that day, there was a young lady in a Cambodian village who had come to faith in Christ. And she is standing just outside the town. Her mother-in-law, hard, hard, hardcore Buddhist mother-in-law, is berating her, is attacking her because she's abandoned Buddhism in favor of this fellow Jesus and his claims and she is berating him and lightning came down from heaven and struck that young lady and killed her. The entire village came out. They're surrounding this body. There's a Buddhist monk. There's a Buddhist priest there. And off... To the side is a young man who had just heard earlier that day, Seton, read that passage of scripture about raising from the dead the widow of Nain's son. And he yelled out to the crowd, they're about to pick up this carcass and take it to the graveyard and bury her. And this young man said, stop, stop, stop. Let's see what Jesus will do. And he ran through the crowd laid his hands on this carcass, and he cried out, Lord Jesus, be my Savior, and do for this young lady what you did for that young man. And that young lady, this carcass, the eyes flew open, and she stood up before all the people in that town And the person who called in with the testimony the next day was the mother-in-law <laughs> who had been attacking her daughter-in-law because she had become a Christian. She called, And the entire nation of Cambodia heard that testimony of a resurrection. That is the God whom we serve. He is present with us in all of the reality of who he is in his nature, and in his strength. Now we turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, and what we have we been seeing in this Gospel? We saw, of course, John the Baptist's ministry, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and then Jesus comes and he baptizes Jesus, and then Jesus immediately And, of course, what we know from John's Gospel, what does John the Baptist later testify to his own disciples? Behold the Lamb of God, speaking of Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then John the Baptist gets arrested by Herod Antipas, who is the ruler of the region of Galilee. He gets arrested. Jesus' public ministry begins after Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness being Tempted, tested by Satan. He comes, he begins his public ministry, same message repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he is going out, but he's not, he's doing something John the Baptist didn't do. He is doing miracles, testifying to his truth, to his message and people start coming to him he is casting out demons he is healing people he is cleansing lepers He's, and people are coming to him coming to him coming to, is already noted from the entire region even the pagan areas around they're hearing of it they're coming to him but also <clears throat> the opposition is arising The opposition is arising. And we've noted this in the passages we've already touched on in chapters one and two. The opposition is arising. Last week, we concluded with the episode where Jesus is in a synagogue on the Sabbath day. There's a man there with a withered hand, a dried up tiny hand. He's in the synagogue and there are Pharisees in the congregation, is this fellow Jesus going to break the Sabbath law? Is he going to heal? Is he going to do a work on the Sabbath day by healing this man? And Jesus tells the man, come forward, come here. Then he asks the congregation, is it right to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil? If I, basically, if I do not heal this man who I can heal, I will be doing evil. By withholding good from people, that is an evil act. That we're capable of, that's an evil act. Or should we do good? And they refused to answer. And it says in the text, Jesus became angry. Look at the hardness of the hearts of these religious, self-proclaimed holy fellows <laughs> who won't Answer. They want Jesus to do, well, they want him to do good <laughs> so they can accuse him <laughs> of doing a work. And Jesus becomes angry with them, and he says to the man with the withered hand, reach forward your hand. And he re- as he reaches it forward, it becomes whole. And what is the response of the Pharisees? As soon as the synagogue ceremony re- time is over, they go and ally themselves with, gag me, Herod Antipas. They line up. Herod Antipas was probably the most despised person by the Jewish culture. (laughs) But the Pharisees, who are the super Jews, line up with him. Why? Because Jesus is a threat to them to their standing in the community. So we pick up now with chapter 3, verse 13. Well, let me back up. I'm going to start in verse 7 just to give us a running start. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and Jerusalem, and Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. This is a pretty big response. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him, and the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God! But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. You know, there's certain people you really don't want testifying for you, and demons is one of them, okay? Okay verse 13 and he jesus went up on the mountain and called to him to him those he wanted he himself wanted and they came to him then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons simon whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the names Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house." Now, one of the things that's happening: the Pharisees, the religious leaders, informally the religious leaders of Israel, they've aligned themselves with Herod Antipas. They are taking a public stand against Jesus, and Jesus appoints these twelve apostles. Now, one of them is a betrayer. We know from the Book of Acts he got replaced, but Jesus appoints these people. This is in. Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this, God is creating, a, God created, and the Apostles didn't know it, nobody knew it until G- Jesus pushed this, this revelation through the pen of the Apostle Paul. God is laying the foundation here for a new format, a new body of redeemed people that will temporarily replace the Israel format. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, that the church, there is a new temple, there is a new building, God is the foundation of which is the apostles and prophets, New Testament prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, these 12 men have no idea that this is going on. Nobody knows what this is, what's ultimately going to happen. But Jesus calls these twelve. As we've already noted, what kind of men are these? They're tradesmen. They're mostly tradesmen. They're fishermen. They know how to get a job done. When a job is in front of them and they've had the instruction of Jesus, the master carpenter, they know how to approach. They're going to walk shoulder to shoulder with Jesus for a year or two before he sends them out. So they're going to get great instruction. But he appoints these, he calls these, calls these 12. And this is important for us to understand. This is the foundation of what is going to be that new spiritual edifice, edifice, edifice uh, building that called the church. <coughs> Verse 20. Then the multitude came together, so that they could not so much as break bread. They are being so jam-packed. They cannot so much as break bread. So when his own people heard this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. Who is this own people? This is his brothers. This is his own family. It's shocking, but not shocking. Who were Joseph's biggest problem? His own brothers kidnapped him. His own brothers sold him as a slave into Egypt. He spent time in prison in Egypt... And then he became the rescuer of his brothers and their families and of his father. Is it a surprise that the same sort of thing will happen with Jesus? Jesus' brothers will come to faith after his resurrection. They are very resistant to his testimony. We know from the Gospel of John that Jesus, when he turned water into wine, that his brothers were present. They know what he did. They know they knew of that miracle. It says specifically in John's Gospel, they were there in Cana of Galilee when he performed that miracle. And yet later in John's Gospel, those brothers are, he's up in Galilee with his disciples and his brothers are there and his brothers say to him in front of his if you really are who you claim to be, they have the evidence why don't you go to jerusalem and make your case and jesus says to them well it's not time for me to do that yet but it's always time for you you can repent right now no thanks no thanks they did but it would be a full three years But Jesus is calling these, the opposition is rising, even as it was with Joseph, as it was with David. David's own father and brothers dismissed him. As I've noted before, when Samuel got word from the Lord, I'm setting aside Saul as the king of Israel. I'm, you're going to anoint one of the sons of Jesse. And he goes to Jesse in Bethlehem and says, okay, bring your sons here. Because one of them is going to be the Saul replacement. I'm going to anoint him. <clears throat> and Jesse invites seven sons. And God says, no, seven times. Jesse, do you have any more sons? Oh, yeah, there's the one I keep out with the sheep. Well, bring him in. And as David walked in, the Lord said to Samuel, this is a man after my own heart. I love this guy. He had already been rejected and set aside by his father. And later on, when he goes to the battlefield where the Goliath is threatening everyone, his three oldest brothers are there, they got really hacked off. When David said, hey, I can handle this guy. In Psalm 69, after he became king, David is writing, zeal for your house is consuming me, Lord. I am so into this building of the temple and bringing all my wealth and resources to this that my own brothers have forsaken me. He's king. And his brother, why? Well, David, don't you think you can milk this thing for the rest of us? Hey, you know, we are a a household. No, God didn't make me king to serve you. He made me king to serve him. Joseph got rejected. David got rejected. Jesus is rejected till after his resurrection. Then the multitude came together so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. They had heard all the testimonies. <clears throat> what? They're out of their mind. Not Jesus. Why is this important to us? It's not just a story. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what happened to you. In your family, when you came to faith in Christ, the people that surrounded you said of you, Oh, he, she is out of their mind. I got opposed. You got opposed. That's standard operating procedure. Frankly, folks, it's the common thing. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. It's a slang term for Satan. He's casting out Satan by the power of Satan. (laughs) Now, Jesus is actually going to mock them on this. By the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. So he, Jesus, called them to himself (laughs) and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? Give me a break. How can Satan cast out Satan? That doesn't even begin to make sense. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand you know what? Satan's not as dumb as you are. <laughs> if a kingdom is divided itself, against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan is risen up against himself, I, I, I think we stop here. We can just, We can actually visualize Jesus rolling his eyes. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man, and then he will plunder his house. What has Jesus been doing? He has been plundering the house of Satan. He's been delivering these human beings, these men, women, and children who were In Satan's grip, he's been delivering them from Satan's grip. How he has bound Satan? Satan has no power with Jesus. Jesus has, as he says in Matthew 28 I have all authority in heaven and on earth. If he's got it all, what does that leave Satan? Nothing. Satan, when before Jesus and before you. Because Jesus has granted us his authority. Satan has no authority before you. Because you walk in the authority of God the Son come in the flesh. Who is right now at God's right hand interceding for you. You are indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. If you're an authentic believer, you are indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is shoulder to shoulder with you. He's not only interceding for you in heaven, he is also with you. You dwell in heaven. Him. As Paul says in Ephesians, we abide in him. We dwell in him. We dwell in him. As Jesus said in the upper room, abide in me and I in you. And you will ask whatever you will, want. And it will be done for you. That's the reality Jesus was walking in. Satan might as well be in chains. That's how much power he has in the presence of Jesus. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. I am plundering Satan's kingdom, his household. Assuredly, I say to you, this is a very strong warning. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Because they said, he has an unclean spirit. One of the realities about God the Son come in the flesh And I've cited this many times. I'm going to keep doing it. (laughs) The Nicene Creed. Jesus of Nazareth is God come in the flesh. He is true God of true God. Fully God. He is true God of true God. True man of, of true man. Fully God. Fully man. Joined together in one person. All that you could say authentically of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in their holiness, in their power, in all of their character is also true of Jesus. But when Jesus, God the Son, became flesh, he laid aside his non-moral attributes. Omniscience. It says in Luke he actually grew in knowledge. He put himself through the same training process, star pupil, that we go through. He laid aside his omniscience. He laid aside his omnipotence. He laid aside the independent use of his power. And became reliant upon the power of the attending, abiding Holy Spirit. That's why he is an authentic model for us. We are to do the same thing he did. He, the Holy Spirit enabled Jesus to do these mighty acts. He laid aside his omniscience. He laid aside his omnipotence. He laid aside his omnipresence. He became localized to a particular body. He laid aside, but he didn't lay aside his moral attributes. He is f- as fully merciful, loving, holy as God the Father, God the Son. Now, one of the things about, that we get from this passage about the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father directs the program. God the Son carries out the program in the enabling empowerment of God the Holy Spirit. Of the triunity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is the most humble in the sense that he serves the purposes of God the Father. He serves the purposes of God the Son. He is fully God. He is fully God but he is the servant of servants because of that god the father and god the son are very are guardians of his reputation jesus says in matthew's gospel the same he says you can blaspheme god the father and be forgiven you can blaspheme god the son and you can be forgiven, but you cannot blaspheme God the Holy Spirit. Exactly what he says here. And why? Because God the Father and God the Son are guardians of the Holy Spirit's reputation. You've crossed a line that you can't come back across if you blaspheme God the Holy Spirit. They are guardians of his reputation. And who is it that's accused? It is the religious leaders that have come up with this nonsense. Oh, he's casting out Satan by the power of Satan. No, I'm casting out Satan by the enabling power of God, the Holy Spirit. They're saying the spirit that resides in him is the satanic. No, you just crossed a line, gentlemen. You just crossed a line. You just sent yourselves to the lake of fire. don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't you dare point to Jesus' testimony, these evidences, and defame them and say they were done by the power of anyone but God, the Holy Spirit, enabling him. You've crossed a line. Verse 31, then his brothers and his mothers came and standing outside, probably in Peter's house again, in Capernaum, then his brothers and his mother came and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him, and a multitude was sitting around him. So he's in this packed house, they're outside on the street, they can't even get in, and they said to him, the people there in the house, look! Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. To whom is Jesus vitally attached? But he answered them saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? The reality of who I am is not focused upon my blood relatives, so to speak. It is on the household that is being created by the enabling power of God, the Holy Spirit. I am calling a family to myself. Who is your father? Our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. When you came to faith in Christ, and as I said earlier in the message, many of us, we had to be we had to step away from our families. We had to step away from part of the culture, if not all of the culture that we have been raised in. We have a new identity, and our old environment, that old culture we walked in, doesn't like it. They don't like what you are now declaring to be the truth. And you have to embrace your new father, and your new brothers, and your new sisters. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are, seeking, are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. Whoever does, I've got a new family. I've got a new family. Now, if my blood relatives should decide to join that family, God bless them. But I've got a new family. I've got a new, I've created a new identity. This is what we experience. Jesus is modeling how we are to deal with the situation. Nobody wants to be rejected. Nobody wants to be stiff-armed by their family. But when it comes to accepting that and being loyal to Jesus, you will choose loyalty to Jesus. You will choose that. And by the way, some of those family members, as Jesus' brothers later did, he also had sisters, by the way. We don't know how many. We just know he had more than one because he says sisters in the Gospel of Matthew. They came into the kingdom, but it was after a long time. Jesus' identity was with his Father and with God the Holy Spirit and with those who had authentically allowed him to embrace them with his truth. This is where we live and Jesus is modeling it. Let's pray. Our Lord, walking through this world, this environment that we're in right now, requires the acceptance of rejection by our former families and friends. But we are embraced by you. You are our Father. We give you thanks. We ask that you would enable us, as Jesus did, to walk in patience with those who are our physical relatives are not yet our spiritual relatives and we ask that as with jesus brothers you would sweep them as you did with us sweep them into your welcoming embrace we ask this for this outcome and enable us to walk by your understanding and view in the enabling power of your holy spirit this week and we are asking that this week You will give to each of us at least one opportunity to clearly speak gospel truth to someone whom you've prepared to hear that message. We ask this of you, Good Shepherd Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. (coughs) Going to another.